Welcome to Canada's podcast. Business leaders, ready to cut costs and boost growth with a recurring billing solution that's built for you? Our platform won't just save you money, it'll help you grow so that you make more money. Bill clearly, grow quickly with Visibill. To calculate your savings, head to Visibill.com today. Hi, I'm Phil Bliss, founder and CEO of Canada's podcast, coming to you today from Toronto. Today, we're going to meet Clive Kinross, who's CEO of Propel Holdings. Clive is a seasoned entrepreneur with a history of building successful and innovative technology businesses. Clive founded Propel in 2011 with a mission to provide access to credit for underserved customers overlooked by traditional banks. Clive is an accountant by trade, but an entrepreneur by heart. Over the last decade, Propel has helped over a million customers access credit and in doing so has achieved profitable and sustainable growth. So Clive, welcome to Canada's podcast. So Clive, welcome to Canada's podcast. Great to meet you. Um, and uh, I, I looked at your bio and, and I think we're going to have an interesting conversation. Uh so before we get into that conversation, uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about who you are, uh, how you got here, uh, and what you're doing now? Yeah, fantastic. And by the way, great to meet you as well, Philip, and thanks so much for the invitation. I'm really delighted to be here this morning. Um, and uh, hopefully hopefully, you, the viewers and the listeners know that I wasn't given any questions in advance. So to the extent that my answers don't appear to be well rehearsed, that's because they're not well rehearsed. Um, again, my name is Clive Kinross, born and raised in South Africa. Um, I'm a chartered accountant um, by, by profession. I did my articles of traineeship at Arthur Anderson in South Africa, in Johannesburg. I think um, in, my, in my graduating year, the last day of my articles, the last official day I resigned, um, didn't necessarily have aspirations to be an auditor and accountant, uh, but, but had aspirations to use the training, uh, which I use every day and um, in the way in the way I think about business. I left South Africa um, in the late 90s after a short stint in private equity, um, following, following my articles of traineeship, um, and left because South Africa, I felt, was a dangerous place um, to grow up in um, and didn't want to have kids over there. And my wife and I decided that it's better um, to, to look elsewhere. We traveled around the world for roughly a year, I think we arrived in Canada in May and a bunch of people told us that it gets cold in this part of the world um, and what that could be like to live in. We didn't believe them. We just liked the country and the people um, and the culture and uh, decided to come and move to Canada. Um, we put in our papers and about eight or nine months later arrived here. I, I did a short stint um, in merchant banking in Canada um, in my in my mid-20s and decided that... Um, my disposition was better, uh, better suited to be an entrepreneur and an operator than an investor. Um, at which point, um, I met a gentleman by the name of Michael Stein, who's my partner uh, to this day. Uh, Michael had just taken CapReit public on the Toronto Stock Exchange. He was the founding chairman and CEO of that business. And uh, it was the late 90s. You know, the internet was really starting to surface at the time. There were some interesting applications for it. And Mike and I had um, a relatively loose understanding that he was going to back me to start an internet business. Obviously, we got to know one another. Um, he believed in me. 
hopefully to this day he still believes in me. I think I think he does. And um, all of that culminated in the formation of a company called called Open Lane. Um, Open Lane went on to be an industry leader um, in the used vehicle distribution business. Used cars um, historically have sold at a wholesale level through brick and mortar auto auctions. And um, I looked at that industry and thought with the advent of the internet, um, we could reimagine how used cars get distributed in such a way that there's huge value adds for both the buyers of used cars, which is car dealerships, um, as well as the sellers of used cars, which is typically institutional um, institutional sellers like Ford Motor Credit, GMAC, Chrysler Financial, American Honda Finance, GE Capital, Wheels, ARI, Hertz, um, Budget, Avis, you name it. It's a big, big industry, as you can appreciate. Um, and uh, started that business in 2000. Grew it to an industry leader, um, also following a merger in 2006. Um, worked with a lot of uh, venture capital um, investors from Silicon Valley, mainly, mainly by virtue of the merger with the company uh, with the company out of Palo Alto. We were taking that company public on the NASDAQ in 08, and unfortunately, um, the window closed on us um, as we were as we were getting ready to set as we were getting set to go on the road to to raise money for that for that company. Um, and instead of doing that, um, really did a big reduction in force at the end of 08 as the automotive industry was hit um, by hard times. So what was going to be kind of the highlight of my business journey turned out into a reduction in force where we terminated um, or reduced roughly 200 people from a 600-person company. We went to 400 people. Um, we got the company um, from relatively deep into the red following the global financial crisis back into the black in early 2009. Um, and that business was ultimately sold to car holdings um, for, for just over a quarter of a billion dollars, which which was a percentage of what the business was worth, um, supposedly worth just a few years prior, uh, but nonetheless um, a good result um, for uh, what was um, an incredibly challenging company to build, but one which is relevant today. Um, and Open Lane today, um, is the way most vehicles um, at a whole used vehicles at a wholesale level um, are transacted in North America. We had offices in Toronto, we had offices in Phoenix, we had offices in Palo Alto. I had customers all over the place. I probably spent the best part of 12 years, Philip, working 10 to 12 hours a day. I was absolutely exhausted after that and took some time off. Um, and then um, and then decided that the only thing that I really know how to do um, is start businesses. Um, I didn't think that I was particularly employable at that point. Um, and had learned a lot um, in building Open Lane and decided um, I wanted to start another business from scratch, build the culture, build the team. Um, the only problem was I didn't have an industry that I'd earmarked and decided that I was comfortable enough stepping out of automotive despite the fact that I had, you know, lots of lots of relationships and yeah, yeah. built up a network in that area. Um, and unlike um, Open Lane, which was a transformational business model, this go around, I said, no transformational business model. <laughs> Let me take a business model that's somewhat proven in a big underserved market um, and do it 5 or 10% better than everybody else and grow an industry leader in the, in, in the process. Um, fintech lending was just taking off at the time. The underserved uh, consumer market comprises roughly 100 million consumers in North America. 
banks and credit unions don't lend to them. They were left with um, very few alternatives, mainly payday loans, um, which were less than optimal from a consumer standpoint. And uh, I figured with the use of world-class technology, um, an incredible team, um, excellent risk adjudic adjudication and so on, um, even though we were relatively late to that game, we could build an industry leader. Um, so back in 2011, just over 12 years ago, pulled together um, an outstanding founding team, all of whom are with me today. Um, and we started a company that went on to be called Propel. Um, and what Propel does is it's a fintech company that provides access to credit um, to underserved and underbanked consumers in both Canada and the U.S., where the company, again, has been growing um, steadily over the last 12 years. We took it public uh, in 2021. Um, and not only have we been growing the top line, we've also, um, and I've also always had a view that um, you, need to, you need to grow profitably. So the company's been profitable since 2015 um, and paying a dividend. This year, we expect to uh, grow our revenues from 230 million US dollars last year to about 315 to 345 million US dollars this year. Um, and we expect uh, our profits to double from 15 million US last year to roughly 30 million US this year. That's certainly the guidance we've given to the streets. And if anything, um, we've never been in a better position to continue to fuel our growth on a go forward basis. Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. So Clive, I'm interested here because you know you you've started things, and you know to to many listeners it, it would be, holy crap, this guy does the big things, okay. But you did start them. How do you get from that startup to big? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and let me let me start off by telling you one of my favorite expressions. Um, which is the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So, you know, I think I think the first thing that I learned relatively early on is that, you know, if you're driven and if you're ambitious and if you're hardworking, irrespective of what the business is that you get into, you're probably going to work 10, 12 hours a day, certainly in the formative years of one's career. And I think what a lot of people do when they're young is they don't necessarily have the boldness and the vision to think about creating a big business in a big industry that's got a long runway. From my perspective, where Mike was really um, informative in my early years, is he said to me, Clive, you're going to work really hard at the end of the day. Let's pick a big industry. Let's pick a big industry where we could grow a big business that's got a lot of runway, what so many people do when they're young in their career is they don't necessarily think about the right industry and they're not necessarily thinking boldly enough about it. So early on in my career, I got that advice and that helped me think about what was the business I wanted to start. And there were a few key elements of the industry. The one is it needed to be big, it needed to be underserved, um, and it needed to be ripe either for change or ripe for another entrance, entrance to a big market. Um, that could that could handle another 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 entrance. So those were all some of the fundamentals and the starting point. The net net is the starting point is to pick a big industry that could grow into something big. Make make a plan, 
uh, make a plan and know ultimately that the business can grow and evolve into a big business over time. Um, and then set and then set milestones for you, and then set goals and milestones for yourself. Um, always with a view to growing a big long-term business. And I think in many instances, that means more investment up front in people, for example, or in technology than you would otherwise take if you didn't have that vision. But provided you have that, that vision and that outlook and you have the capital to support your plan, um, ultimately, that's how you eat an elephant one bite at a time. So, you know, based on your story today, you, you face some unexpected challenges. Uh, how do you, how, how have you learned to handle those uh, and come out uh, on the other side? You're like, I've faced, I've faced a lot of unexpected challenges, <laughs> a lot, you know, over, over a business career um, that spans over, um, that spans over roughly 25 years in Canada alone, yeah. the formation of two industry-leading companies, both uh, both of which um, are valued in the hundreds of uh, hundreds of millions of dollars from the ground up. Uh, I can tell you, Philip, it didn't didn't just happen without challenges along the way. Um, and I've learned I've learned a few things. Uh, the first thing I've learned is to never give up. Um, and let me say that again: to never, ever, ever give up. Um, even if you're just kind of hanging on by a thread, uh, which is certainly what it's felt like from time to time, either emotionally um, or fiscally, um, never, ever give up. So that that would be number one. And I think that characteristic is something um, that's defined me in many aspects of my life since I was since I was a young kid, for better or for worse. And I think it served me well from a business perspective. The other thing I've learned how to do when learn to do when there are challenges you need to come up with a plan. Um, and the best way to come up with a plan is to pull the team together to disseminate what the challenges are um, and to figure out with the team how to come up with the appropriate plan. Um, typically, that will involve a couple days, um, sometimes in a boardroom, sometimes out of town, depending on what the case may be. Develop a plan. Once I've got the plan developed, I'll generally speaking feel a little bit calmer um, and then um, and then thoroughly go about executing on the plan, given the challenges and given the environment. And, and, and invariably, depending on the challenges, there's lots and lots of things to do. There's lots of hard work to do, which entails from a leader, not only making sure the team is motivated, but also holding them accountable. Um, and more often than not, taking on the biggest uh, and most difficult challenges myself. In other words, leading from the front rather than just being a cheerleader or a motivator. Business leaders, ready to cut costs and boost growth with a recurring billing solution that's built for you? Our platform won't just save you money, it'll help you grow so that you make more money. Bill clearly, grow quickly with Visibill. To calculate your savings, head to Visibill.com today. If you go back about 25 years when you're starting things, what, would, what advice would you give yourself now that you you mean you've got some great experience what would you drop what would you what would you like to have started with if you like you know in in those days um companies founders were taking their companies public based on a little bit of revenue based on a big market opportunity and based on big losses and there wasn't kind of a week that went by where i didn't read about some entrepreneur 
uh, whose, whose net wealth was, was $20 million or $50 million or $150 million based on little more than an idea. Um, and I consequently went into that period of, of my life um, with those expectations. Um, and as a consequence of that, when we got started, I think the, I think the internet bubble burst in 2002, a couple of years after we had started. Yeah. So that, that. Op that opportunity went by the wayside. Um, and it took me a long time, I suppose, to emotionally adjust to that. I had this, I had this expectation that within two, maybe three years, we would take the company public and I'd be worth a fortune or money. And that was certainly um, one of my one of my driving forces was 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 personal wealth creation, um, and I had to learn the hard way. And I'm talking now more emotionally than anything else um, to be patient. And be patient doesn't mean not working with urgency and working with hot working my heart out each and every day. Um, it means just be patient at the end goal and building a business and an infrastructure and team and customers and processes is not something that happens overnight. Um, and in a more normalized world, um, it takes years to build value in a company and to recognize that value. So I think with that said, I would say to myself, Clive, be patient, work hard, think fast, but be patient and don't have unrealistic expectations. I think that would have saved me a lot of peace of mind um, over the years. It's, it's really interesting to, to hear that. I mean, and, and that's really great advice to pass on. On that advice side, you know, what's the best piece of advice that you've received along the way that, you know, you carry around in your back pocket? It's always there kind of thing. I've had a couple of gems, but... Um, yeah, look, I think, I, think, I think a lot of people focus on the what in business. Um, what should we do? What market should we get into? What should the product look like? Um, and I think the most important business decision anybody could make is not the what decision. It's actually the who decision. Who am I in business with? Who are my partners? Who are my co-founders? Um, to me, the who is the critical part because business is highly, highly unpredictable. Industries change and industries evolve. And as a consequence of that, businesses change all the time. If you're surrounded by the right who, the right people with the right set of common values, with the right ambition, with the right focus and very often different skill sets, um, then irrespective of what the market throws at you, you could adjust the business um, and, and find opportunities where otherwise you may not be able to find them. So to me, um, the who decision is absolutely the most critical decision at the end of the day. Mm. Friendships kind of growing up, um, you know, if you're, if you're friendly with people who don't necessarily have the same values as you, it's okay. Particularly in my experience, male friendships, which are based more around doing, you know, we'll play sports together, we'll go watch sports together, we'll do stuff together, if you will. In business, where, there, where there's money involved, your values really get tested at the end of the day. And working with people with like-minded values, um, in my experience, um, has been a critical factor to success. So what I would say to any young aspiring um, entrepreneur is the most important decision you're going to make is the who decision. And if you don't get along with that person, 
irrespective of um, the potential wealth opportunity that you might think is happening in front of you, it will be it will be a disaster in my experience. I haven't seen an instance uh, where that's not the case, certainly from a farmer's perspective. Interesting. So, so some great lessons there, some great, great listening. Uh, and uh, But let's move away from the serious side of it. Let's have a little bit of fun. Um, you know, you, you were trained as, as an accountant. You know, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing instead? Oh, boy. You know, that, that ship sailed, unfortunately, Philip. You know, uh, as a as a as a young kid, I always had dreams of being a professional sportsman. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have the skill set. Um, I was a I was a pretty good athlete. That was rugby, I assume. Was it? Yeah. Rugby, tennis. I wasn't actually that particular. It could have been anything. <laughs> but if there was if there was any uh, if there was any kind of dream that I had, um, it was it was uh, playing playing uh, tennis at Centre Court Wimbledon. Um, and if there's any aspirations that my parents had, it would have been their son Clive, the doctor, playing tennis at Centre Court Wimbledon. So <laughs> none of that translated at the end of the day. My own aspirations were never were never to be a doctor, by the way. And the sight of blood scares me, if anything. But to be a professional sportsman would have been would have been a really really epic journey. Even when I watch it today. Um, I'm kind of jealous when I see athletes performing at the highest level, particularly on the tennis court. So what book are you currently reading, listening to, that you'd recommend to the audience? You know, I've read, I've read uh, a lot of books over the years. I'm going through a phase right now where I'm actually not reading a book, and I've probably been in that, been in that phase uh, for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, if you, if you said to me, what are some of the books that have really changed the way I think about things over the years. Certainly Good to Great uh, was, uh, was an exceptional, uh, was an exceptional yep, book. Good, yep. Highly, highly recommend that, as, as I do Built to Last. Mm -hmm. um, I loved many years ago a book called Straight from the Gut. It was a Sandy Will story. Um, I, loved, uh, I loved the Andre Agassi story. That was an incredible book. I loved the Steve Jobs book. I saw watching CNBC that Walter Isaacson's just just written a book now. Um, about Elon Musk, and he's an incredible writer. So I'm looking, looking forward to read yeah, that. But I'm finding, I I'm finding, yeah, I think this could be a good book. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I'm finding in this environment, I don't know whether it's because we're overloaded with technology and media coming from everywhere. That most of the reading I'm doing is shorter articles. Um, I read The Economist religiously from back to front. I think it's exceptionally well written and. Yeah. Uh, gives a more more call it call it thorough um, thorough assessment as to what's going on in the world. A bit more fun. Are you a morning or a night person? Both. I'm both. You know, yeah. I love uh, I love being the first one up in the morning in the house. Mm -hmm. I'm typically up at uh, six o'clock in the morning. The first thing that I do is I open up my email. Um, I like to clear any any quick emails I can. Uh, Particularly if I'm holding anybody anybody up who's waiting to hear from me about something, I'd like to get them moving ASAP. I'll do that over a couple of double espressos before I religiously have my workout every day. Try workout seven days a week, uh, more more for, for my mind than anything else. Um, and I, I love I love nights as well. I love coming home at night, um, having having a nice meal. Um, 
either watching the latest Netflix show or alternatively watching a sporting event or picking up on the news. It's another very important part of my day. And I'm finding that um, I'm finding that uh, my social calendar is also exceptionally full. I need to do a better job of managing that, frankly, because sometimes it's a little bit too full. Uh, but my life's my life's full, and uh, frankly, I love it that way. Great. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be, and why? Intense. Intense. Um. If you said to me why am I tense, it's just just the way that I'm. It's just the way that I'm wired. You know, I've always been that way. I've always been highly, highly competitive, Philip. I think uh, when I was growing up, um, I viewed my competitive nature, which stood me in very good stead even as a youngster. But somehow, I viewed it as a trait or an attribute that had negative connotations. It's not something that I loved about myself. Um, as I've gotten as I've gotten older, I think that competitiveness. Um, which which is what's behind the intensity, um, has actually served me very well. I've learned how to embrace it um, over over my over my uh, call it you know more recent years, um, and I've learned how to make it work for me and not work against me, uh, which is something else that it's done over the years. And if you said to me how, um, I think I've just mellowed out a little bit over the years, mm -hmm. um, and there's a little bit more calm and a little bit more wisdom. Um, as well as obviously the same intense um, intense street. So last thing, what's keeping you up at night? I'm I'm a dad, you know. I think uh, I think for, first and foremost, if you said what's my identity, it's a father. Uh, I've got uh, I've got two beautiful kids. My daughter Talia is twenty four, and my son Jacob is twenty. Um, and uh, obviously, their well being um, is something that's kept me up at night since the day they were born. And now that they're older, um, I have uh, I have different um, things that keep me up with each of them, but doesn't stop keeping me up. Number one, um, number two. Believe it or not, I think a lot about my family back in South Africa. Um, I think in hindsight, the decision uh, that we made to come to Canada um, 25 odd years ago was the right one. There was a period of time where it didn't feel like the right one, but now more so than ever, it's the right one. And folks in South Africa are really, really struggling. Um, there's not a month that goes by that I don't hear about somebody else that's struggling and um, we do all we can to help, but more than that, um, it keeps me up. Um, it keeps me up and uh, certainly weighs me down a little bit. Um, and more more than that, um, the business is what keeps me up at night all the time. The business is like another child. I don't stop thinking about it um, from two perspectives. Um, first of all, maybe more than two perspectives, the people. Um, at the end of the day, my number one job is kind of called the chief people officer. Um, and I need to make sure that my people are the right people in the right positions and are motivated um, and are doing the right kind of work. So people's critical. And um, the other aspect that's critical to me is strategy um, and strategy right now um, in, a, in a macro economy. And that's uncertain at best um, in a in a in a world where um, there's wars and tremendous uncertainty, all of which could have knock-on effects for our business. 
from my perspective, first and foremost, um, from a strategic standpoint, I'm managing the risks, of which there are um, of which there are several that I need to think about and manage. And on the other hand, um, also manage the opportunities. And uh, I manage the opportunities mainly by making sure that I've got outstanding people in place um, to be able to execute on those opportunities. Um, while I'm finding most of my work um, is more on the risk management side as distinct from driving the growth opportunity side. And um, at, at this stage of my career, I'm feeling like I'm doing a really, really good job um, of balancing everything. Balancing all of those variables have been other stages of my life where, frankly, um, I've leaned in too heavily in one area or another uh, for an extended period of time to the point that I don't think it was healthy, not for me, um, nor for the people that, I've, that I serve around me. Clive, it's been super meeting. It's just been very, very interesting. I think some gems in there in, term, in terms of advice and, and things like that. Uh, uh, someone's listening. How can people get a hold of you online? So, so, um, so, Philip, I'm the CEO, as you know, of Propel Holdings. Uh, my email is clive.kinross at propelholdings.com. Um, every once in a while, I do have a budding uh, entrepreneur getting in touch with me and uh, would love to come in and speak and uh, get some advice to the extent that my advice could, my advice could be helpful. Um, Philip, I'm always happy and honored to do that and frankly, very flattered to do that. Um, if there's any way that I could give back um, through my through my experience over the years, I'm only too delighted to do that. So um, we'll encourage folks to reach out to the extent that they do have any questions um, on the one hand and on the other hand, also to recognize that I'm busy. Um, so if I can't prioritize them today, it doesn't mean that I won't prioritize them at all. Um, and for all those budding entrepreneurs out there, I would, you know, I would say that the road less traveled, um, besides the potential financial windfall from it, um, the wisdom and life experiences that one accumulates being, um, being an entrepreneur um, is, is really exceptional. So if you've got adventure in your blood and the thirst for knowledge and curiosity, it really is um, a fascinating journey and don't forget to enjoy that part of the journey as well. Clive, thanks for coming on Canvas. It's been, been a delight to have you. Likewise. Thank you so much, Philip. Really appreciate the time and the outstanding questions. I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Well, some gems of wisdom from Clive, and uh, I really think a, a terrific session. Uh, so once again, I'm Phil Bliss. Thanks for listening to Canada's podcast where you meet the entrepreneurs that drive Canada's economy. See you soon. Business leaders, ready to cut costs and boost growth with a recurring billing solution that's built for you? Our platform won't just save you money, it'll help you grow so that you make more money. Bill clearly, grow quickly with Visibill. To calculate your savings, head to visibill.com today. Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs.